St. Paul tells us in today's epistle, Brethren, rejoice in the Lord always. And St. John the Baptist in the Gospel, he says, The same is he that shall come after me, who is preferred before me, the latchet of whose shoe I am not worthy to loose. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At a certain point in my seminary days, I started mine with Bishop Sanborn when we were still in Warren, Michigan. I had to share a room with a minor seminarian. And one night, it, it must have been around this time of year, preparing for Christmas, he had gone to, to bed early and all was quiet as I worked at my desk for a while longer. Well, later on, as I was still at my desk, I heard him say, or rather mumble something that I couldn't quite make out. But I asked him what he said. He responded, I can't wait. So I was surprised. I thought he was asleep. So I asked him, for what? And his response was, well, for Christmas. Sure enough, when I got up and went over to check on him, he was still sound asleep. That was the first conversation I've ever had with someone who was sound asleep, and it's been that way pretty much ever since, I have to say. But it shows that even back in the seminary days, that joy of anticipation for the Feast of Christmas. Well, here we are now, halfway to Christmas. Our hearts are growing more cheerful, and even Holy Mother Church, it seems that she can't hold back her joy any longer. She wants her children to share in it. Rejoice, she says. She tells us that first thing in this Mass, and she tells us through St. Paul, be solicitous about nothing. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Our Lord is nigh. And she wishes that we rejoice, but in the epistle, St. Paul is more specific. Rejoice in the Lord. We human beings are all the time looking for true joy, reasons to rejoice, to be happy, and to be glad, because our hearts were made for that, for true happiness, and that true happiness exists only in heaven. But there are places here on earth that we can find joy. But first, it's always good to approach it from this way first. Our post-Christian world that we now live in, which once knew and accepted our Savior, has since apostatized and utterly rejected Christ in society. And by doing that, they removed the very source of joy for the world. It started by rejecting that Christ existed in history. The modernists say that. They say he is some sort of experience in the early Christians, but nothing more. And if he didn't exist, 
Well, then the next logical thing to go would be his commandments. They can be ignored as well. And well, if Christ did not exist or was not true God, then why belong to his church? The church only gets between you and Christ, as they say. And then at last they cry out very happily, liberty. But this type of liberty, this freedom, produces not a true freedom, but only isolation. It is an isolation from God, and therefore an isolation from the source of joy. It is a sort of aloneness that leads only to thinking of oneself and making it all about me. I am the center of my world, and while I'm at it, I should be the center of attention of yours as well. That's what that sort of isolation leads to. God is taken out of the equation, and we become so absorbed in ourselves that that age-old sin, it started with Lucifer and then with Adam and Eve, the sin to want to be like God's, enters into the picture. Now, people who have the tendency to worry excessively and they complain of anxiety, they mention how often, as soon as they wake up in the morning, their mind is already racing, going from one thought to another, occupying itself with thoughts of not being good enough, being a failure, how nothing ever goes right, and how everything in the coming day is going to be bad. They go down already at the first moments. They go down this proverbial rabbit hole of negative thinking until at last, many of them, they've gone into a full-blown panic attack. It is true what one blogger wrote, I read in preparing this sermon, self-focus, self-preoccupation can become a hazard. We've known that for many centuries, but the world is just now finding out. When we spend an inordinate amount of time and energy thinking about ourselves, then self-focus can turn into brooding. And this brooding can trap us in a vicious cycle of overthinking about something and then all things, and then creating, in turn, more brooding. And she says, this is a major contributor to depression and anxiety. It sucks out our time and our spirit and leads to unhealthy coping strategies. So this self-absorption really does take away the possibility of a true joy in this life of ours. So true joy is not found in ourselves. We oftentimes complain, if my friends really knew me, the real me, they wouldn't come around anymore. And we don't like the time of silence spent with just 
our own thoughts. So true joy is not found in oneself. We are social creatures, after all, created that way by God. So today I'll tell you, simply, of a way to bring joy to your soul on this Rejoicing Sunday. And this will be the third step in our spiritual Advent program. When Adam and Eve thought they could attain true joy by turning away from God and finding it in themselves by tasting of that pretty, juicy apple, that is precisely the moment when joy in the world became easier to lose and harder to find. Cain lost his joy when God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. That was through the, the sin of envy, and the first murder was committed. The Jewish people, they thought they would find great joy in building an enormous structure so high that it would reach heaven. It was a selfish act of pride in which they wanted to glorify themselves, and it was meant to bring joy to them. But the tower fell into ruins, and God separated men by instituting their different languages. That's where we get the term babbling. If someone babbles, you don't understand them. And at the Tower of Babel, all of a sudden they started speaking all different languages and not understanding. Joy was lost. And the Pharisees, they, more than any, perhaps, in the Gospels, were so self-absorbed in what others thought of them and so united in their hatred of Christ that they lost the temple and their covenant with God and all their joy and the source of joy was taken from them. The possibility of joy entered the world once more only at the Incarnation where the Son of God performed the greatest act of humility or self-forgetfulness in becoming a child, as St. Paul says, who emptied himself taking the form of a servant and made in the likeness of men. And in an act of love for us so great that he became a child so that he could suffer. For as God, he couldn't suffer and to die to bring us eternal joys. God so loved the world as to give his only begotten Son. But Job says, What is man that thou shouldst be mindful of him? Or why dost thou set thy heart upon him? In other words, he's asking, Why do you love us so much, God? Well, never mind. The fact of the matter and it's a matter of faith, is that he does love us. Humility and charity. This is our third step in the Advent program. How do we practice it? Well, a couple of practical things. When the tendency is to think about self, 
and to talk about self, pay attention to how many times in a conversation you say the words I and me. Or when you're tempted to indulge in self-pity, well then, stop yourself. Think of our Lord's utter self-forgetfulness in becoming a man, though he was God. He had no time his whole life long to focus on himself or any of his pains during the Passion. He was focused on others. Or when you feel that you must think of yourself because no one else does, no one cares about your problems, and no one will help you, when you feel neglected, stop yourself, enter prayerfully, calmly, into your heart and call to mind the fact that no one thought of the infant Jesus when he was born. He had not even a place on which to lay his head that night. And then when all seems in your own mind negative and you become focused on your problems, be they real or imagined, Say a prayer and move your thoughts gently yet firmly away from your problems to think of someone else. Remember this, that you, and I say this to each one of you individually, you are the object of God's love. You are the reason that he became a little child. You are the reason he died on the cross. You are the reason that he dwells on this altar today because his delight was to be with the children of men. You have been loved by God. So when things are going badly, stop thinking about your problems. Remember you are loved by God and be an instrument in God's hands and bringing that love of God to other people. That is, look for opportunity to do some good work for another. Those works of mercy, whether spiritual or corporal, they are almost completely forgotten. Centuries ago, in the Middle Ages, it was a regular thing for people, lay people, not just the priests, on call, but lay people to go and visit the sick. It's almost a lost practice now. When was the last time you stopped by a nursing home where someone is lonely, or a hospital where someone is suffering and has no one else to help them? Have you stopped by, even in the room of someone that you've never met, just to bring a little gift to cheer their heart and say a kind word to get them through the day. Or maybe someone really just needs a word of encouragement, a friend, a family member. Listen to his problems. Don't then, because he is going on and on about his problems, lose your patience. It's not about you at that point. You are to listen to the other in order to help him. Offer sound advice and encourage him. Or 
if someone cannot make it to Mass, maybe offer to go by and pick them up. Do some kind work. Because when we forget ourselves, we can gain peace. And when we focus on others, our suffering is all turned into joy. So in the midst of all of our preparations, prepare above all your soul. Remember this equation, humility and charity equals joy. This is your third step in preparing for Christ's coming. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.